Hello, my friends. This is your Definitely Storytime host, Jamie. And if you're here, it's Definitely Storytime. So let's settle in and get comfortable, or whatever it is you prefer doing while you listen. And let's begin. We are reading Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Chapter 27 I wondered what you thought of me, or if you ever thought of me. To find this out, I resumed my notice of you. There was something glad in your glance, and genial in your manner when you conversed. I saw you had a social heart. It was the silent schoolroom, it was the tedium of your life, that made you mournful. I permitted myself the delight of being kind to you. Kindness stirred emotion soon. Your face became soft in expression, your tones gentle. I liked my name pronounced by your lips in a grateful, happy accent. I used to enjoy a chance meeting with you, Jane. At this time, there was a curious hesitation in your manner. You glanced at me with a slight trouble, a hovering doubt. You did not know what my caprice might be, whether I was going to play the master and be stern, or the friend and be benignant. I was now too fond of you, often to stimulate the first whim, and when I stretched my hand out cordially, such bloom and light and bliss rose to your young, wistful features. I had much ado often to avoid straining you then and there to my heart. Don't talk any more of those days, sir. I interrupted, furtively dashing away some tears from my eyes. His language was torture to me, for I knew what I must do and do soon. And all these reminiscences and these revelations of his feelings only made my work more difficult. No, Jane. He returned. What necessity is there to dwell on the past, when the present is so much surer, the future so much brighter? I shuddered to hear the infatuated assertion. You see now how the case stands, do you not? He continued. After a youth and manhood passed half in unutterable misery and half in dreary solitude, I have for the first time found what I can truly love. I have found you. You are my sympathy, my better self, my good angel. I am bound to you with a strong attachment. I think you good, gifted, lovely. A fervent, a solemn passion is conceived in my heart. It leans to you, draws you to my center and spring of life, wraps my existence about you, and kindling in pure, powerful flame fuses you and me in one. It was because I felt and knew this that I resolved to marry you. To tell me that I had already a wife is empty mockery. You know now that I had but a hideous demon. I was wrong to attempt to deceive you, but I feared a stubbornness that exists in your character. I feared early, instilled prejudice. I wanted to have you safe before hazarding conferences. 
this was cowardly. I should have appealed to your nobleness and magnanimity at first, as I do now, opened to you plainly my life of agony, described to you my hunger and thirst after a higher and worthier existence shown to you, not my resolution, that word is weak, but my resistless bent to love faithfully and well, where I am faithfully and well loved in return. Then I should have asked you to accept my pledge of fidelity and to give me yours. Jane, give it to me now. A pause. Why are you silent, Jane? I was experiencing an ordeal. A hand of fiery iron grasped my vitals. Terrible moment, full of struggle, blackness burning. Not a human being that ever lived could wish to be loved better than I was loved, and him who thus loved me I absolutely worshipped. I must renounce love and idol. One drear word comprised my intolerable duty. Depart. Jane, you understand what I want of you. Just this promise I will be yours, Mr. Rochester. Mr. Rochester, I will not be yours. Another long silence. Jane! Recommenced he with a gentleness that broke me down with grief and turned me stone cold with ominous terror, for this still voice was the pant of a lion rising. Jane! Do you mean to go one way in the world and to let me go another? I do. Jane. Bending towards and embracing me. Do you mean it now? I do. And now, softly kissing my forehead and cheek. I do extricating myself from restraint rapidly and completely. Oh, Jane, this is bitter. This, this is wicked. It would not be wicked to love me. It would be to obey you. A wild look raised his brows, crossed his features. He rose, but he forbore yet. I laid my hand on the back of a chair for support. I shook, I feared, but I resolved. One instant, Jane, give one glance to my horrible life when you are gone. All happiness will be torn away with you. What then is left? For a wife I have but the maniac upstairs. As well might you refer me to some corpse in yonder churchyard. What shall I do, Jane? Where turn for a companion and for some hope? Do as I do. Trust in God and yourself. Believe in heaven. Hope to meet again there. Then you will not yield. No. 
Then you condemn me to live wretched and to die accursed. His voice rose. I advise you to live sinless, and I wish you to die tranquil. Then you snatch love and innocence from me. You fling me back on lust for a passion, vice for an occupation. Mr. Rochester, I no more assign this fate to you than I grasp at it for myself. We were born to strive and endure you as well as I. Do so. You will forget me before I forget you. You make me a liar by such language. You sully my honor. I declared I could not change. You tell me to my face I shall change soon. And what a distortion in your judgment. What a perversity in your ideas is proved by your conduct. Is it better to drive a fellow creature to despair than to transgress a mere human law? No man being injured by the breach. For you have neither relatives nor acquaintances whom you need fear to offend by living with me. This was true, and while he spoke, my very conscience and reason turned traitors against me and charged me with crime in resisting him. They spoke almost as loud as feeling, and that clamored wildly. Oh, comply, it said. Think of his misery, think of his danger, look at his state when left alone, remember his headlong nature, consider the recklessness following on despair. Soothe him, save him, love him, tell him you love him and will be his. Who in the world cares for you? Or who will be injured by what you do? Still indomitable was the reply. I care for myself. The more solitary, the more friendless, the more unsustained I am, the more I will respect myself. I will keep the law given by God sanctioned by man. I will hold to the principles received by me when I was sane and not mad as I am now. Laws and principles are not for the times when there is no temptation. They are for such moments as this when body and soul rise in mutiny against their rigor. Stringent are they, and violet they shall be. If at my individual convenience I might break them, what would be their worth? They have a worth. So I have always believed, and if I cannot believe it now, it is because I am insane, quite insane, with my veins running fire and my heart beating faster than I can count its throbs. Preconceived opinions, foregone determinations, are all I have at this hour to stand by. There, I plant my foot. I did. Mr. Rochester, reading my countenance, saw I had done so. His fury was wrought to the highest. He must yield to it for a moment, whatever followed. He crossed the floor and seized my arm and grasped my waist. He seemed to devour me with his flaming glance. Physically, I felt, at the moment, powerless, as stubble exposed to the draft and glow of a furnace. Mentally, I still possessed my soul, and with it the certainty of ultimate safety. The soul, fortunately, has an interpreter, often an unconscious, but still a truthful interpreter, in the eye. My eye rose to his, and while I looked in his fierce face, I gave an involuntary sigh. His grip was painful, and my overtaxed strength almost exhausted. Never, said he as he ground his teeth. 
Never was anything at once so frail and so indomitable. A mere reed she feels in my hand. And he shook me with the force of his hold. I could bend her with my finger and thumb, but what good would it do if I bent, if I uptore, if I crushed her? Consider that I, consider the resolute, wild, free thing, looking out of it, defying me with more than courage, with a stern triumph. Whatever I do with its cage, I cannot get at it. The savage, beautiful creature. If I tear, if I rend the slight prison, my outrage will only let the captive loose. Conqueror. I might be of the house, but the inmate would escape to heaven before I could call myself possessor of its clay dwelling place. And it is you, spirit, with will and energy and virtue and purity, that I want, not alone your brittle frame. Of yourself you could come with soft flight and nestle against my heart if you would. Seized against your will, you will elude the grasp like an essence. You will vanish ere I inhale your fragrance. Oh, come, Jane, come! As he said this, he released me from his clutch and only looked at me. The look was far worse to resist than the frantic strain. Only an idiot, however, would have succumbed now. I had dared and baffled his fury. I must elude his sorrow. I retired to the door. Where are you going, Jane? I am going, sir. You are leaving me. Yes. You will not come. You will not be my comforter, my rescuer. My deep love, my wild woe, my frantic prayer are all nothing to you. What unutterable pathos was in his voice. How hard it was to reiterate firmly, I am going. Jane. Mr. Rochester. Withdraw, then. I consent, but remember, you leave me here in anguish. Go up to your own room. Think over all I have said, and Jane cast a glance on my sufferings. Think of me. He turned away. He threw himself on his face on the sofa. Oh, Jane, my hope, my love, my life broke in anguish from his lips. Then came a deep, strong sob. I had already gained the door, but reader, I walked back, walked back as determinedly as I had retreated. I knelt down by him. I turned his face from the cushion to me. I kissed his cheek. I smoothed his hair with my hand. God bless you, my dear master, I said. God keep you from harm and wrong direct you, solace you, reward you well for your past kindness to me. Little Jane's love would have been my best reward, he answered. Without it, my heart is broken. But Jane will give me her love, yes, nobly, generously. Up the blood rushed to his face. Forth flashed the fire from his eyes. Erect he sprang, he held out his arms, but... I evaded the embrace and at once quitted the room. Farewell was the cry of my heart as I left him. Despair added, farewell forever. 
That night I never thought to sleep. But a slumber fell on me as soon as I lay down in bed. I was transported in thought to the scenes of childhood. I dreamt I lay in the red room at Gateshead, that the night was dark, and my mind impressed with strange fears. The light that long ago had struck me into syncope, recalled in this vision, seemed glidingly to mount the wall and tremblingly to pause in the center of the obscured ceiling. I lifted up my head to look. The roof resolved to clouds high and dim. The gleam was such as the moon imparts to vapors she is about to sever. I watched her come, watched with the strangest anticipation, as though some word of doom were to be written on her disk. She broke forth as never moon yet burst from cloud. A hand first penetrated the sable folds and waved them away. Then not a moon, but a white human form shone in the azure, inclining a glorious brow earthward. It gazed and gazed on me. It spoke to my spirit. Immeasurably distant was the tone, yet so near it whispered in my heart. My daughter, flee temptation. Mother, I will. So I answered after I had waked from the trance-like dream. It was yet night, but July nights are short. Soon after midnight dawn comes. It cannot be too early to commence the task I have to fulfill, thought I. I rose. I was dressed, for I had taken off nothing but my shoes. I knew where to find in my drawers some linen, a locket, a ring. In seeking these articles, I encountered the beads of a pearl necklace Mr. Rochester had forced me to accept a few days ago. I left that. It was not mine. It was the visionary brides who had melted in air. The other articles I made up in a parcel. My purse containing twenty shillings, it was all I had, I put in my pocket. I tied on my straw bonnet, pinned my shawl, took the parcel and my slippers, which I would not put on yet, and stole from the room. Farewell, kind Mrs. Fairfax, I whispered as I glided past her door. Farewell, my darling Adele, I said as I glanced toward the nursery. No thought could be admitted of entering to embrace her. I had to deceive a fine ear, for aught I knew it might now be listening. I would have got past Mr. Rochester's chamber without a pause, but my heart momentarily stopped in its beat at that threshold. My foot was forced to stop also. No sleep was there. The inmate was walking restlessly from wall to wall, and again and again he sighed while I listened. There was a heaven, a temporary heaven, in this room for me if I chose. I had but to go in and to say, Mr. Rochester, I will love you and live with you through life till death, and a fount of rapture would spring to my lips. I thought of this. That kind master, who could not sleep now, was waiting with impatience for day. He would send for me in the morning. I should be gone. He would have me sought for, vainly. He would feel himself forsaken, his love rejected. He would suffer perhaps grow desperate. I thought of this, too. My hand moved towards the lock. I caught it back and glided on. Drearily, I wound my way downstairs. 
I knew what I had to do, and I did it mechanically. I sought the key of the side door in the kitchen. I sought, too, a file of oil and a feather. I oiled the key and the lock. I got some water. I got some bread. For perhaps I should have to walk far. And my strength, sorely shaken of late, must not break down. All this I did without one sound. I opened the door, passed out, shut it softly. Dim dawn glimmered in the yard. The great gates were closed and locked, but a wicket in one of them was only latched. Through that I departed. It, too, I shut, and now I was out of Thornfield. A mile off, beyond the fields, lay a road which stretched in the contrary direction to Millcote. A road. I had never traveled, but often noticed and wondered where it led. Thither I bent my steps. No reflection was to be allowed now. Not one glance was to be cast back, not even one forward. Not one thought was to be given either to the past or the future. The first was a page so heavily sweet, so deadly sad, that to read one line of it would dissolve my courage and break down my energy. The last was an awful blank, something like the world when the deluge was gone by. I skirted fields and hedges and lanes till after sunrise. I believe it was a lovely summer morning. I know my shoes, which I had put on when I left the house, were soon wet with dew, but I looked neither to rising sun nor smiling sky nor wakening nature. He who is taken out to pass through a fair scene to the scaffold thinks not of the flowers that smile on his road, but of the block and axe edge, of the disseverment of bone and vein, of the grave gaping at the end. And I thought of drear flight and homeless wandering, and oh, with agony I thought of what I left. I could not help it. I thought of him now, in his room, watching the sunrise, hoping I should soon come to say I would stay with him and be his. I longed to be his. I panted to return. It was not too late. I could yet spare him the bitter pang of bereavement. As yet my flight, I was sure, was undiscovered. I could go back and be his comforter, his pride, his redeemer from misery, perhaps from ruin. Oh, that fear of his self-abandonment, far worse than my abandonment. How it goaded me. It was a barbed arrowhead in my breast. It tore me when I tried to extract it. It sickened me when remembrance thrust it further in. Birds began singing in brake and copse. Birds were faithful to their mates. Birds were emblems of love. What was I? In the midst of my pain of heart and frantic effort of principle, I abhorred myself. I had no solace from self-approbation, none even from self-respect. I had injured, wounded, left my master. I was hateful in my own eyes. Still, I could not turn nor retrace one step. God must have led me on, as to my own will or conscience, impassioned grief had trampled one and stifled the other. I was weeping wildly as I walked along my solitary way. Fast, fast, I went like one delirious. 
A weakness, beginning inwardly, extending to the limbs, seized me, and I fell. I lay on the ground some minutes, pressing my face to the wet turf. I had some fear, or hope, that here I should die. But I was soon up, crawling forwards on my hands and knees, and then again raised to my feet, as eager and as determined as ever to reach the road. When I got there, I was forced to sit to rest me under the hedge, and while I sat I heard wheels and saw a coach come on. I stood up and lifted my hand. It stopped. I asked where it was going. The driver named a place a long way off and where I was sure Mr. Rochester had no connections. I asked for what sum he would take me there. He said, 30 shillings. I answered I had but 20. Well, he would try to make it do. He further gave me leave to get into the inside as the vehicle was empty. I entered, was shut in, and it rolled on its way. Gentle reader, may you never feel what I then felt. May your eyes never shed such stormy, scalding, heart-wrung tears as poured from mine. May you never appeal to heaven in prayers so hopeless and so agonized as in that hour left my lips. For never may you, like me, dread to be the instrument of evil to what you wholly love. To be continued. Hey, I wanted to let you know about a new partnership that Definitely Storytime has with a company called Salty Llama. You may have seen them in the news or advertised by real people on social media. They are focused on sustainability around one of our biggest pollution challenges, laundry. Now, I know, I don't like lugging those heavy and wasteful jugs around, measuring, spilling, the drippy goo around the opening and the cap, the bother of trying to get the last bit out of the container because you don't want to waste it, then having to put that monster jug in the recycling where it takes up a lot of space in the bin and probably isn't even being recycled because so few plastics actually are. Well, I'm here with good news. We can spare ourselves all of that hassle and waste with Salty Llama laundry sheets. They are made from natural ingredients. There's even one for sensitive skin. They come in a compostable fiber-based sleeve and are super light for you and to transport as they produce only 4% of the CO2 emissions of regular laundry detergent transportation. And even better, they are pre-measured for small, medium, and large loads, so you just have to tear off the size you need. No waste, no goo, no spills and drips, no turning the bottle upside down waiting for a slow drizzle to get the last bit out. None of that. And if you aren't totally convinced, it is risk-free because they have a 100% money-back guarantee, no questions asked, and free shipping throughout the U.S., U.K., and Europe, all because they care and are committed to helping our planet. So head over to saltylama.com, 1L, a direct link can be found in with my other links in the podcast description, and you can use my affiliate code, definitely storytime, no spaces, for 10% off to help you, and I mean all of us, really. And that has been our episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I hope you'll consider telling your friends and family. And if you have the means, providing listener support. I also have a Patreon, and I have merchandise available on Teespring. Links are on the homepage. I thank you for choosing Definitely Storytime.